Hello, and welcome to the December edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. I'm your host, Jake Eisenberg, and for this episode, I'm joined by Max Marcilla and Dylan Sin, two of our esteemed staff members. And, well, we're going to touch on a lot of things on this episode. Most notably, we're going to talk about the pitching staff, an interview with the new pitching coach, Ryan Fecto, and with one of the Terps' right-handers, Mike Racino, as well. But we're also going to take a look at some of the recruiting aspects that the Terps have been doing over the past few weeks, a closer look at the class of 2017. And, well, if you've been to our website, you've noticed that we've been rolling out some profiles of some of these incoming Terps, like Sean Fisher, Justin Vogt, uh, Randy Bednar among them, and there'll be more in the coming weeks as well, so be sure to stay tuned with that. And, well, while you're at it, uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter, at MDBaseballNet, for the latest updates on Terps Baseball. And uh, give us a like on Facebook. You can find us at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. So, you know, do your best to make sure you're following us on all those places for the best Terps news and up-to-the-minute Terps news that, you know, you'll find really anywhere. So with that, we'll jump right into things. And I'm, I'm glad to have Max and Dylan along with me for this podcast. On the last one, we didn't really have any you know, conversational tones. We did a bunch of different segments, and we took a look at the schedule. We took a look at the recruiting class on an initial basis. But it's nice to have a, a couple guys along here to, you know, talk to on the podcast today. So welcome, guys. Thanks. Good to be here. Oh, not not all at once. <laughs> That's okay, though. We're excited. What can we say? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a thing to be excited about. So before we get into the, the nitty-gritty on the recruiting bits and pieces, I think it's important that well, I share to our listeners a little bit about the both of you, Max and Dylan. Max is a freshman uh, just coming to the University of Maryland. We're excited to have him on our staff. He's already written a couple of pieces for us, and they've been well-received, and he's done a great job. And Dylan is actually a graduate transfer from the University of Indiana, and we don't hold that against him. Pardon me, Indiana University. Um, we don't hold that against him anyway, though, but he's done a great job so far for us. He's taken a look at some recruits as well, so... Dylan and Max, you know, making their MBN debuts on this December edition of the podcast. Good to be here. I was going to call you out on uh, Indiana University, but you beat me to it. Yeah, you know, I, I really should know better. I applied to Indiana, you know, of course, ended up choosing to go to Maryland by far a better school. But um, <laughs> like, like we said, not going to hold it against you. And, you know, we'll have our own Dylan Sin Bowl when Maryland travels out to Indiana later in the season. That'll be sometime in late April, so we'll have some fun with that one when we get there. Absolutely. I'll hear from my friends about that one. So let's so let's take a look at this recruiting class. Right now, Maryland has 10 guys who have signed national letters of intent, and, you know, they riddle the leaderboards for Prep Baseball Report and, and their reports on the players in Maryland, players in Illinois, and it's it's a recruiting class that, well, the first thing that struck me to the both of you was was interesting to me. A lot of Maryland's recruits in the past few years have come from Really, you know, just a few different states. Pennsylvania, Maryland, and New Jersey is where the Terps tend to recruit most heavily. And if you look at their roster, it kind of breaks down that way, too, save for maybe Kevin Biondic, who's from Illinois. But you have Mark DeLuya, who's a pitcher from Illinois. You've got Michael Pinero, a first baseman from Rancho Cucamonga, California. And, well, then you have your, you know, mix of Marylanders and New Jerseyans and, you know, the rest of the states that kind of fall in that Maryland bunch. So, well, we'll start with you, Max. When you first looked at this recruiting class, what kind of what stood out to you? Well, just what you said is the fact that they were able to recruit from all over, and you you get the guys from Maryland, and that's important to keep the guys in your home state home and and keep them as Terps. But 
also you mentioned California, Illinois, even just going up to New Jersey and consistently pulling those recruits. I mean, you have a school like Rutgers, which is a Big Ten school now, and in Pennsylvania, you have Penn State. You have other Big Ten schools that could be looking at these guys. And the fact that Maryland consistently not only is getting guys from Maryland, but also New Jersey, Pennsylvania, like you mentioned, that's really encouraging. That coupled with the fact that now they're recruiting you know, outside of this East Coast, you know, you look at California, that it's, it's a really impressive class and, and some nice talent coming into College Park next year. I mean, just from the New Jersey side of things, a number of players have been from kind of South Jersey coming into Maryland, most notably Mike Schwarn, who's from Carney's Point, and then, you know, John Murphy, who played in high school with him. He's from Merchantville, uh, Andrew Green from Blairstown, and a, a bunch of other guys like Nick Sierra. He's from Haynesport. So New Jersey's been well represented for the Terps um, really even before the switch to the Big Ten for Maryland and since before Rutgers joined the Big Ten too. Now taking a look at, you know, the class overall, it seems – rather pitcher-heavy. Dylan, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say, Jake, because this is our uh, pitching-heavy podcast, so this is uh, they have a lot of pitching in this class. A couple guys, we have the number one pitcher from both Maryland and New Jersey in this class. Number one pitcher from New Jersey, Drew Wilden, who throws 90 miles an hour coming out of high school. So that's pretty, pretty impressive right there. And then Illinois recruit, as we talked about, Mark DeLuya, uh, he's a pitcher as well, and he's the number eight player in the state. So it's exciting to see all these new guys coming in on the mound. Now, you mentioned Mark DeLuya, the right-hander from Marion Catholic High School, and you looked at him more specifically. You wrote our, our profile piece on DeLuya. So what did you learn about him, and uh, how did that piece all kind of come out for you? Well, I, I learned a lot about him. He's, he was a great guy to talk to, and he seems really committed uh, to being the best he can be at Maryland. One thing he said that really struck me was he likes the camaraderie of playing baseball. That's important to him. But one thing that he really likes about baseball is being a pitcher because he gets to be the man on the mound. He likes taking charge and being that kind of player. And I think that's the type of guy that we like having come in at Maryland. And it's really impressive to see him have that that kind of uh, stance coming in, even as a freshman. Yeah, and the rest of these profiles, I mean, the ones that have already come out from us. I mean, they've, they've included some really cool nuggets about these guys, like Christopher Allen. You know what? I guess it's a good time now to kind of pause and say that if, if we mispronounce any of these names, uh, we apologize profusely. We're going to do our best, but some of them a little bit tricky, and, well, we haven't quite gotten them down yet. But Christopher Allen, the infielder from Philadelphia, I mean, he was named a, capture, a captain for his high school team as a junior, which is something that's very uncommon. So he's showing lots of leadership already in high school. And then something interesting that struck me, and you know, Max, this is kind of where I want to talk to you a little bit, is Justin Vogt said something that kind of struck me. He said that Maryland's coaching staff almost felt like his second father's for the next four years. Yeah, well, that's that's quite high praise, I'll say that. And it makes it easy to come to a school when you have that family atmosphere immediately. But, I mean, you mentioned this class is pitching heavy, and, well, you need a catcher to go with all those pitchers, and that's something that I think Justin Vogt can bring to College Park is He's the second-best catcher in Pennsylvania, the fifth overall prospect of the class of 2017. I got a chance to talk to him, and, and, well, I mean, maybe his comment about the coaching staff being his second father's, maybe that stood out. What stood out to me was the fact that he decided on College Park and the University of Maryland, in large part because of the winning and the, the winning the Terps have done the last couple of years. And he comes from a high school. He's won two state championships in his three years. 
And he told me, he said he's used to winning. He likes winning. He's a competitive guy. And coming to Maryland gives him a chance to not only play and not only show off his talent, but be a part of a winning atmosphere. So whether it's because of the winning or because of the father fatherly atmosphere at Maryland, I think the fact that the Terps get a young catcher to go with all these young pitchers is really a good sign. Well, the catcher pitcher catcher position, excuse me, something that I think is really interesting to even look at for this season because you've got Justin Morris and Nick Sieri, uh, a junior and a senior respectively, who are kind of going to both be vying for that time at the backstop. You know, we saw Sieri a lot last season in the designated hitter role, and Justin, you know, widely considered to be a bit of a better defensive catcher. But you've also got Danny Maynard, who showed flashes in a pinch hitter role last year. And you've got Ty Friedrich, who had a good summer with the Silver Spring Tacoma T-Bolts in the Ripken League. So you've got four catchers on your roster. And, well, next season we'll see what happens with Justin and Nick in terms of the draft. I mean, Nickel, this, this is Nick's last season of eligibility, so that's one catcher that will be off the roster for 2018. But depending on what Justin decides to do, if he has a breakout season, he could go in the draft. Um, Danny Maynard will come back, and he'll probably be the favorite to get that starting role, of course, should Nick and Justin both be gone. And then, you know, we'll see what happens with Friedrich this season. But adding another catcher to the mix, I think, is really interesting. So that's something that, you know, we'll certainly keep an eye on for 2018. One of the other things right, I noticed... It, oh, go, go ahead, Max. I was going to say, it's it's not something that votes I'm familiar with. And, and I wrote in my article that he had a teammate, Ryan Hogan, who's a catcher at St. John's. And he mentioned, you know, he... Uh, Justin mentioned he's always been the little guy, you know, always behind Ryan. So, you know, that you could use that as a learning experience and having a couple of older catchers on the roster could really help him uh, when he gets to Maryland. Oh, no doubt about it. And I think that's something that we'll see with a lot of these young pitchers, too, is having, you know, the veteran presence of guys that'll be, you know, returning like Hunter Parsons and some of the younger relievers like Zach Guth and Andrew Miller. I think that's going to pay huge dividends for some of these young arms that are coming in for the Terps that you guys have talked about. One of the other things that struck me about this recruiting class is, well, the best the best high school baseball players, they do tend to be two-way players in the sense that they both pitch and they hit, and they excel at both of them. That's how they get on the radar of a lot of these Division One programs. But over the past few years, Maryland hasn't really had, you know, a two-way guy, which isn't something that's common in college baseball, but and the top-tier teams and, you know, the top players you see going in the draft, a lot of them, you know, can both pitch at a high level, and, you know, hit in the middle of the order. And, well, a couple of years ago, there was Willie Rios, who was both a first baseman and a left-hander on the mound. He transferred out of the program. But this season, we'll see Jamal Wade kind of take a, a two-way approach, and we'll see how much he's used offensively. Last year, he struggled as a pinch hitter, but he's emerged as, like, a flamethrower on the mound. He's been really good, and, you know, we'll talk to Ryan Fecto about him a little bit also. But two guys in this recruiting class, Richie Schaeffer, uh Koffer, excuse me, um, out of Milburn, New Jersey, and Randy Bednar, one of the best players in Maryland, according to Prep Baseball Report, both listed as two-way guys. That's right. Uh, Rand, Randy Bednar, especially, is he's been he was Maryland's first recruit uh, in the class. He signed all the way back in 2014, right after his freshman season, and he's been committed to Maryland ever since. And um, it seems like the coaching staff really wants to give him a look, both on the mound and in the outfield. And his coaches have been saying all along that they've seen that since he was in middle school. We we did a the MBN did the profile and their coaches told us that he's been playing with the varsity since since seventh grade and just playing up his entire career. So it'll be interesting to see how he uh, 
uh, does when he gets here on both offense and on the mound. Right, and having that versatility can't hurt. I mean, the fact that the coaching staff is going to have not only a, a large group of recruits coming in next season, but also a couple versatile players, it's really going to help Maryland be able to put some different lineups and some uh, different rotations out there on the field and, and really help build the team from the from the bottom up. And, you know, it, it's a good reminder to check out the profiles on the guys that we already have out there. One's on Randy Bednar, Justin Vogt, uh, Mark DeLuya, Chris Allen, and also Sean Fisher, who brings another interesting angle to this recruiting class. He's a left-hander from Parkside High School, as is Grant Burleson, and we'll have uh, a profile on him coming out in the next week or so as well from our own Noah Gross. But the two of them, Fisher and Burleson, being from Parkside, well, they're going to join Hunter Parsons, who's another Parkside guy coming out of uh, that high school, and he you know, showed a lot of flashes for the Terps last season and then had a strong summer in the Ripken League. He's named the Pitcher of the Year um, for that collegiate baseball league and named the All-Star team, led the league in a bunch of statistical categories. And, you know, no doubt he had a hand in bringing both Fisher and Burleson to the program. I thought that was really interesting, too. Yeah, I thought that was uh, that was very interesting. Those guys, they cited uh, Hunter being here as a reason that they, they thought Maryland was a good place to be. And, you know, uh, Grant, he's, he's PBR, so he throws 89 already. And he said another reason that he wanted to come here is because he wanted to be part of this tradition of winning that Maryland has going. And that's that's something that Maryland's building right now, and it's nice to see these guys coming in wanting to build on that and get to Omaha. And that's going to be interesting to see in the coming years. Now, Max, I want to I go back to you for a second and talk to you a little bit more about some of the other guys in this class that we might not have touched on. And I think an interesting part that we might have glossed over earlier was that there's a recruit for the Terps from California, which, I mean, when it first when I first saw it, I was pretty surprised considering, one, as we said before, Maryland tends to recruit in you know this Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, but also that you know there are so much competition for recruits in the state of California. You've got programs that Maryland played last year like UC Irvine and Cal State Fullerton and then you've got you know some teams in Los Angeles whether it be UCLA or you know Long Beach State you know these are really good programs that find themselves in the NCAA tournament you know ever so often especially UCLA and Fullerton and I thought it was really a good sign for Maryland that they were able to pry a California guy in Rancher Cucamonga out of California. Oh, absolutely, and and that says something not only about you know Pinheiro as a as a player and and what he's looking for in a program, but also it says a lot about the Maryland program. I mean, multiple recruits, including I mean, I've talked about Justin. You brought up the the fatherly quote, which which I think might be my favorite as well. Now that I'm thinking more about it, but I mean, it seems like every recruit has said the coaching staff will help them grow as a player, and the coaching staff will help them, you know, get time on the field and help them grow as a person as well. And really, that's a big reason why they chose Maryland. Well, you look at a guy from California and you say, well, what can draw you to Maryland? I mean, unless you really like snow and, and you, you're ready to leave the sunny valley, um, which I definitely wouldn't, but I think it says a lot about the coaching staff. It says a lot about the, the program and it says a lot about the winning temperament that Maryland built the last couple of seasons. Well, I think there's no doubt uh, I think you can find or figure out the reasons why they were able to get a recruit from California. And 
while winning the 2015 regional at UCLA, the number one seed, knocking them off in the 2015 tournament. I'm sure that certainly helped. Um, and then, you know, going back to the West Coast last season and taking a series from Cal State Fullerton and having a game against UC Irvine, you know, kind of established a Maryland presence in California, I think, that hadn't been there previously. So I think it'll be interesting to see going forward, at least this season, you know, where Maryland's non-conference schedule takes them geographically and how that helps them from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, Maryland's going down to Clearwater, Florida, lots of talent in that state, going down to LSU. And while I don't think necessarily that the Terps are going to pry any top recruits away from a powerhouse like LSU just yet, um, there are a couple guys from that area that are on Maryland's roster this year. You have Madison Nickens, a transfer from LSU Eunice. You have Will Watson, another transfer from LSU Eunice. And if you look at that Eunice program, a JUCO college considered to be one of the best, another guy on that team, Jordan Romero, transferred from Eunice to LSU. So there are players on that team making the, the hop, so to speak, to these top SEC schools. But you've got two now that have come to play for the Terps. So I think we're seeing a bit of a more diverse recruiting stance from Maryland, and that certainly helps when you have guys like Rob Vaughn who come from Kansas and Louisiana and Texas and are able to recruit that area. And now you have Ryan Fecto as the recruiting coordinator who can take a look a lot more heavily at kind of the northeast part of the country where he's been really successful at Bryant. So, I mean, Dylan, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's uh, Jake, you hit the nail on the head, and that's something that Maryland, uh, I think they're really trying to do right now is build a national recruiting base. And obviously most of the recruits this year were still from the East Coast, but just even putting some feelers out there. And you said something I think is very important is going to play out in California. And when, when we go down and play in Florida, it's going to be very important just to have people see that Maryland it's a top-notch program. They do things the right way. And as Randy Bednar's father said when he was being recruited, the coaching staff is raising men. That's what that's what uh, he said, and I think that's something that uh, recruits are going to want to see. So I think as long as, as we're playing um, in these new areas, people, are, especially recruits, are going to want to come and be interested in the program, and that's a big step for them. <laughs> and, of course, you know, yeah. it helps when you win. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so this recruiting class, 10 players strong. Um, we've touched on about half of them already from our profiles on MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. Be sure to check them out, and we'll have some more rolling out as we approach the new year. A couple of guys also in this class that have committed but not yet signed, Gunnar Barnard and Kieran Garner, and we'll be sure to keep you updated on those two. But I think this is a really good class for the Terps coming off the heels of the best-rated class in Maryland history that was headlined Last year, number 17 in the country by D1Baseball.com. We spoke to Aaron Fitt on the November podcast. He was very excited and very bullish on the Terps come 2017. And I think, well, this class bodes well for 2018. So we'll keep things moving right along here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Dylan Sin and Max Marcilla for joining me at the top of this edition to talk a little bit more about the recruiting class. And, well, we touched on how pitching heavy it was, so we figured we'd go a little bit more in-depth with Maryland's pitching later on in this episode. And, well, remember, we have an interview with Mike Racino coming up at the back end of this podcast, so stay tuned to hear what the right-handed flamethrower has to say. But first, we'll chat with the new Terps pitching coach, Ryan Fecto. And, Ryan, thanks for joining us on the podcast this time around. Yeah, thanks. I uh, appreciate, appreciate you having me. I want to start with you about kind of how you came to join the staff at Maryland. Jimmy Bellinger departed for Kentucky, the previous pitching coach, and the position became available. Did you throw your hat in the ring, per se, or did Coach Chef reach out to you? What was that process like? Um, you know, it was actually, we've played, 
I was at Bryant University for the last six years, and we played Maryland two of the last three years. So I kind of had some familiarity with, uh, you know, with coaching staff, but I didn't know them all that well, to be honest. Um, my head coach at Bryant, Steve Owens, was good friends with Coach Chef. Um, they used to coach against each other when Steve Owens was at LeMoyne and Chef was at um, Marist, so when they were in the MAC together. So that was kind of the connection. Um, he was pretty familiar with our pitching staffs, you know, when we played against them. Um, you know, we've had some pretty good pitching staffs when I was at Bryant um, over the last few years. So I think it was more of just, you know, him seeing if there was some interest. And obviously I was I was very interested. Um, I've kind of seen what they've done from afar over the last few years and the success they've had. And, um, you know, I've I've always been kind of a, one of those smaller schools. Um, so any chance I, I had to, you know, come coach at a place like this, you know, along with the success that they've had, it was, it was just a great opportunity that I couldn't really turn down. Well, I'm sure Chef also saw the success that you were having on the other side in the NEC with Bryant, pitching staffs that, quite frankly, over the last six years have been better than anyone else's in that conference. And guys, pitchers of the year, Kyle Wilcox and James Karinchek, who I had the chance to, to meet this summer up in Chatham. And, I mean, he's as impressive as anyone else who's going to be draft eligible this season. Yeah, he's he's got a chance to be – I mean, the sky's kind of limit for him. He's um, – the only thing that's going to, I think, limit his draft stock is just where he's pitching. You know, it's just a smaller conference, so he's got to do a little extra um, just with the, from the statistical standpoint. Um, but he's like – I mean, he's got to be 90-95. He's really physical. He's got a plus breaking ball, plus fastball. He's got a good changeup. And he competes like crazy out there. So um, he's one of those guys I still feel like people don't really know a whole lot about him. Um, this year, he's got a chance to really pitch against uh, some pretty good teams early on. I think he's, they're facing Arkansas early. Um, he'll be – they're actually coming back here to face us. Right, for a right. Game Definitely going to touch on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he'll he'll be fun to watch this year. I think he's got a chance to do some really special things. Well, you mentioned how James is at a smaller school like Bryan, and you spent the last six years there, started at a D3 school in St. Anselm, and then worked your way to USC or UCS Upstate uh, with Matt Fincher, who, you know, coincidentally used to be an assistant coach in Chatham, where James was this past summer. But what did you learn being at a smaller school like Bryan and trying to compete with bigger Division One programs, which the Bulldogs have over the last six years, the most wins in Division One baseball, a number two seed, in, in the tournament last year, I mean, that can't come easily. No, I mean, a lot of, honestly, like a lot of it goes to Steve Owens. I mean, he's, um, I I was really fortunate to coach with him um, and learn a lot from him. I mean, he's he's one of those guys that just refuses to lose. Um, he, <laughs> he hates it more than anything, and it just trickles down all the way through the players. Um, he's just, that gritty type that plays wants guys that play so hard. And if you don't play like that, you just don't play under him. So it's just kind of the type of guy that he gets in the program that um, we might, we didn't really get like the most talented kids necessarily. Like there was, there was a lot of projectability with kids we got. So like the big emphasis was always on player development. Um, I mean, over the last, over those six years, like not one of the guys that we recruited was drafted out of high school. So that was kind of our, our thing. We just, we really focused on the development part. Um, 
you know, it wasn't like we were over recruiting or anything like that. We weren't, you know, trying to phase guys out of the program. It was, um, it was just, it was kind of a, it was a good experience to see just how, how he went about developing people and players. Um, I guess that was probably that was probably the biggest thing I took from it. It's just the amount of emphasis and work that went into the daily development of guys. It was just you never took a day off. Um, you know, so I guess I guess that's probably the big emphasis I, w- I would say. So you come here to Maryland, and while you might not have had players at Bryant that were drafted out of high school, there's more than a few on the Terps, Hunter Parsons being one of them, and he emerged last year as a Sunday starter candidate uh, down the stretch, and you know I'm sure he'll figure into some plans come the spring. But with a guy like Hunter Parsons and a freshman drafted out of high school who's projected to be pretty pretty darn good in Tyler Blome, I mean, how do you bring your player development experience from Brian, and what do you work on with the two of them among them, you know, among Brian Schaefer, Taylor Bloom, and you know the rest of this new Maryland staff? Um, you know. Those those four guys that you actually just mentioned is kind of interesting because they didn't pitch at all in the fall. They were all shut down just because right, the amount right. of innings that they had thrown, um, which I think is going to really benefit them during the season. So they did a lot of stuff, um, a lot of stuff on the side. They had a big emphasis on strength conditioning, getting bigger and stronger. Um, but the thing that I try to do with a lot of the pitchers is I just try to teach them as much as possible so that they're just, they're educated on, you know, pitching mechanics, the game, pitch calling, um, and really learning about themselves as pitchers and understanding what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, you know, learning how to make adjustments with their body. So we do a lot of stuff, even though they didn't throw, they still did a lot of, a lot of mechanical work, just, you know, off the mounds, dry work, um, but I think, you know, if if they can almost, in a sense, become their, their own pitching coach while they're out on the mound, you know, by themselves, um, then I think they can, you know, usually guys can go to another level like that. Because if, you, if you're out there and you're competing and you need someone to kind of tell you what you're doing wrong, like if you, you know, you miss with a couple pitches, then you're so far behind. The good ones are the ones that understand what their bodies are doing every pitch and are able to adjust pitch to pitch. You know. Mm-hmm. So you were you were announced as the new pitching coach back in the beginning of July. So did you have a chance to talk to Hunter or Tyler during the summer? They both pitched for the Baltimore Redbirds, and Hunter was the league's pitcher of the year. I know Brian and Taylor didn't pitch over the summer, but did you have a chance to talk to Taylor, Tyler, Hunter, or any of the other guys? Yeah, I actually went because a lot of them were in the Cal Ripken League. So I I went to the Cal Ripken League games. Um, I tried to see as much as I could. You know, it was kind of tough. Like I got to see Hunter. Um, I actually got to see him start a game. So that was good. I kind of you know because he actually didn't pitch against us um, last year when we came down and played Maryland when I was with Brian. Um, so I got to lay my eyes on him, John Murphy. Um, you know, I got to see Racino a little bit. I knew Schaefer and Bloom because you know I had they pitched against us last year when I was at Bryant, um, and then Bloom I didn't get to see him. I tried like a couple times and it just <laughs> it didn't work out with weather. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did you know I've I've got some video on a lot of the guys too, um, and Bloom's actually got he's been throwing bullpens at the towards like the end of uh, the semester. They're in finals right now, but I got to see a couple bullpens with him um, off the mound. So 
there's a there's a lot of talent. Um, but I've I've pretty much I've pretty much been you know familiar with a lot of the guys you know coming into the season. So yeah, that's right. I mean, two of the last three years, Bryant has been down here in College Park, and the Terps have been successful against the Bulldogs. Five out of the six games went Maryland's way. But what did you notice in Maryland, whether it be the program, the stadium, the players, those those two trips down to Maryland? Um, the the big thing with them, it was you know, there's a lot of similarities. Um, I think the way they're coached is kind of similar to what we had going at Bryant, it's just they're getting a different level of player out of high school. Um, the pitchers, you know, that, that we faced, um, Schworn, Schaefer, and Bloom, they just they threw so many strikes. They competed like crazy. Um, they just never, never gave in to guys. Um, you know, we faced them one of their super regional years, um, and it was just like, that was the year Stinnett was still here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we saw some really talented arms that year too. Um, but I just think they're, they're just a great group. Like it's, it's not like any type of prima donna guys. They're the guys that get after it every day. Um, really blue collar type guys. Um, so it's just, it kind of fits into what, what I've been um, accustomed to, you know, the last six years as well. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at the guys who are coming back and, you know, Schwarm notwithstanding the program leader in everything possible on the mound, but the guys coming back, I mean, how much of a, how much of a luxury is it for you to have two front-of-the-line rotation guys in Schaefer and Bloom who had more starts than walks last season? I know. I, I was talking to Chef about that. Like, I don't <laughs> think – you probably won't see that, I don't – maybe throughout the whole country. I mean, that's that's such a rare thing to see. So those two right away, they give you a chance on a Friday and Saturday. So that kind of puts you ahead. Um, you know, I, I think we've got some really good options for that third game too. You know, there's there's some competition going for that Sunday spot um, along with the midweek spot. And there's just there's so many arms here. It's, you know, it's really competitive with guys trying to establish some roles. So I, I really like the way it's set up. Um, it's been a really good group as far as, you know, how they've worked. Uh, they've been really great teammates with one another, you know, which is kind of interesting just how competitive it is to, you know, establish some roles too. But they've been they've been great to work with all fall. If the season were to start this weekend, what would, what would Maryland's rotation look like? Um, that's a really good question. I, we really haven't said it. I mean, I can tell you, like, Schaefer and Bloom are going to be two of our starters. Um, I don't know. It's it's going to have to kind of play out, you know, when they get back from winter break and see where guys are at. Um, you know, they've all got to follow their throwing programs and their lifting programs. And it's funny, like, a lot of stuff can happen in this next month. Like, a lot of guys can, can make some jumps. Um some guys are going to outwork some other guys, you know, and it's just, it's so competitive. It's really tough to say kind of what's going to happen with, you know, some of those spots and where guys are going to fit in. But I mean, I, I feel very confident saying Schaefer and Bloom are going to be two of our top <laughs> right, starters. Well, I think that one's definitely a given, <laughs> especially well, I mean, given their performance last year. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I would like to think that Hunter would be able to, you know, be an impact guy for us. Um, you know, in, in the rotation in some, some aspect. Um, 
you know, he's also a guy that could you could throw him at the back end and just close games for you too. But I I think his his repertoire and um, his stuff is just too good. I I think he's going to be a really good starting pitcher. That's that's an interesting point you bring up about you know the potential of some of these guys that could compete for these starting roles shifting to the back end of the bullpen. And I want to talk about the bullpen in a second, but just focusing once more on the rotation. You know we know about. Brian Schaefer and Taylor Bloom and what they can do. And we saw, you know, the flashes that Parsons showed last year. And then, of course, we know about Tyler Blome coming in and some of the guys last year that had midweek starts like John Murphy and Cam Ank. And, you know, what a summer uh, Ank had in the perfect game league. But what are some yeah. guys and some freshmen that, that came in that surprised you and might surprise us with what kind of impact they have come springtime? Um, you know, I think uh... – Dignacio, John Dignacio's an interesting guy. Um, you know, he gives us a left-handed option, and he he's been a really, really good worker. Um, I've actually been really surprised with how you know how much he's really gotten after it. Um, he's gotten stronger. He's working on his mechanics all the time. He's really diligent with his arm care. Um, he's just one of those kids that you don't really have to tell him to do stuff. He just does it. Um, so I've been really pleased with him. I think he's going to continue to get better. Um, I would like to think that he could, you know, find some type of role for us, whether it's, you know, just a left-hand option on the bullpen or, you know, at some point he could be a type of kid that could be a starting pitcher. Um, just depends how he develops. That's all. Uh, Elliot Zollner's probably showed the best stuff out of that freshman group. Um, he showed a really good fastball with a really good movement and a plus breaking ball. And he's got a pretty good change up too. So he's just, you know, he's one of those guys that's just got to get experience. He's got to, you know, believe in his stuff and have the confidence just to go out and do their, do it against some, you know, some high level opponents. Um, you know, the story is still kind of coming back from, he had an arm surgery last year from a high school season. So he's coming back from that. Um, we'll see kind of where he's at. You know, once he finishes his rehab stuff, he's about halfway through his rehab throwing. Um, and then, uh, you know, Pantos is just kind of, um, he's another guy that that's um, still kind of learning a lot. Um, he's got a little ways to go, but, you know, he he's one of those guys that's he's a smart kid and um, he should be able to, you know, keep developing throughout this year and learning from some of these older guys. But Blom, he just hasn't really pitched for us competitively yet. So um, the reason, like, we shut him down was we let him go pitch in that Cal Ripken league. Right. So which I'm sure was a great was, experience for a freshman well, that's, pitcher. That was the thing. It's like, okay, do you do you shut him down for the summer, you know, so you can throw, like, 10 innings in the fall, or do you let him go throw, like, 30 innings, you know, and start and face college hitters? And I think that was the best thing for him. Um, and then he could have that period where he was just shut down for, you know, two to three months, basically. So I think that was the right thing to do with him. And he got some really good experience and he had some good success and some failure. So, you know, anytime you can have a little bit of a blend like that, I think that's really good for a young guy. Um, and, you know, he's a pretty mature kid, too. So that was another part of the reason where we kind of decided to do that. Sure. And especially in a setting where the results quite frankly, don't really matter so much as the development does. And, well, one thing that was interesting to me about this summer wasn't necessarily in the Ripken League, but it was in the NECBL with Jamal Wade and how he kind of went from 
you know, in the batter's box to on the mound and kind of projects as almost a two-way guy this season. I mean, where does he kind of fit in the in the bullpen conversation? He Jamal's kind of a wild card. I mean, like he um, I actually know those guys up at Keene in the NECBL, and um, I think it was one of those situations where Jamal kind of let him know, hey, like if you need an extra arm because the summer stuff, there's there's always times throughout the summer where you just need someone to throw an inning here or an inning there. And, um, you know, he, he got that opportunity, and I guess he did really well up there. Oh, his numbers so, were off the charts. At least, yeah, so, at least well past expectations for someone who's known to be a hitter. Yeah. Um, so the thing with him was, you know, this fall, he we pitched him this fall, and we let him hit too. And, um, you know, he didn't quite throw as – many strikes as we would have liked he was um, a little bit more of a thrower and I wasn't so sure it was going to work out but by the end of the fall he started to kind of figure some things out on the mound and I think I think he's got a chance to be pretty good there he might be a better pro prospect on the mound actually really Uh, wow I mean he was up to like 94 this fall I know he won your uh, flamethrower of the week a couple times (laughs) yeah you heard that (laughs) oh yeah Oh, the guys uh, love to talk about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he, um, you know, he started. He he just needs to understand that he's kind of a stuff guy. You know, he's a two pitch guy. He's not going to be this guy that's you know throwing three four pitches. It's basically here's my best stuff. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and hit it. And I don't. He doesn't necessarily need to you know spot the ball on the corners either. He's just got to throw his best stuff and attack the hitters. So once he kind of started doing that, I think I think he got a little more comfortable. Um, he's getting more more comfortable with his mechanics every day, uh, but he's he's got a chance to be a late inning bullpen guy um, with a really good fastball and a power curveball. Well, he's not the only one that has kind of made that jump or made that conversion. Mike Racino came to Maryland as an infielder and now is projected to be you know maybe a top ten draft pick. I mean, he was drafted last season in in the twenties areas, but coming out of the Ripken League, one of the best prospects in that league, and you know on the prospect charts all over the place. What what have you seen out of him that's been, I mean, has he, has he lived up to the hype that he came in with? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know Mike as, you know, an infielder. Um, so he actually pitched against us last year when I was at Bryant. Um, he came in to close a game and bit of a shaky outing for him then. Yeah. It was, a, he finished I mean, it it was off. tough weather that day too. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it was raining all over the place, but he, um, you know, I thought he was more of a thrower then from what I've seen out of him this fall and what I saw from the summer. I think he's he's really learned how to pitch, um, repeat his delivery a lot better. He's got four pitches. Um, he throws a lot of strikes. And I think he's still, like, kind of tapping into what what his potential is. You know, he he's learning to use his body a little better. Because um, he's, like, I mean, right now he's, like, low 90s and – I don't I don't think he's done. Like I, I think there's a little more in there. There were some um, reports of him hitting ninety seven this summer. Yeah, you know, I, I think once he once he starts to really get get everything synced up, get the legs into it, I think he's he's got a chance to be like one of those mid nineties power guys. Um he's but I mean he started pitching just a couple not, of years ago. Not yeah. too long ago. So it's it's gonna be interesting. I mean you think of like the pitchers that have been pitching for their whole life that continue to get better. I mean, he's he's probably got a lot of upside to him. And then the the rest of that bullpen, there are some really interesting pieces that started coming along a little bit late last year. 
Andrew Miller was a guy who was drafted out of high school who's got that kind of low arm angle from the left side. And then a guy that I personally love to watch pitch that I think uh, I, I saw him this summer up in, up in Wareham, and he, he threw really, really well, uh, I thought, it was Ryan Selmer. And, I mean, how, do you, how has he kind of improved from what you've seen this fall? And I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, you have your late inning guys and, you know, Racino and maybe Wade. Where does Selmer fit in? And I guess who's going to get the ball come ninth inning in a one-run game? Um, you know, I I had actually I talked to some of the guys about that. Like, you know, I think Andrew, um, he probably fits in more of like that, that setup type guy. Because um, Racino and Selmer have both closed. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I don't think you need to you need to really designate a closer with this team. I think you have multiple options. So if like a Friday night we get seven innings out of you know whoever's starting, and we've got to, we bring in say Racino in the eighth inning, we could just pitch him the eighth and the ninth if he's if he's going good and not have to use two guys in one game. Almost you know? a closer by committee, which is similar to last year. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think you need to designate guys for one inning. I think I think these guys are capable of pitching, you know, um, two, three innings on a given day. It's just we got to be smart with, you know, not using them too often if we're going to do multiple innings out of them. But I, I think you've got multiple guys that can pitch at the back end, um, multiple guys that can close. Selmer and Racino are probably the two guys that, that we would probably go into the season, um, you know, if we were to – close a game I would I would look at those two guys but again you've got Miller who's got really good stuff um you know Hill is a, another kid a ju- junior college kid that came in and he's competed really well on the mound and he's thrown a lot of strikes um you know I kind of like what he brings he brings a ton of energy to the team and you even got the guys with the experience with like Jared Price and Taylor Styles, um who've who had really good falls and um, they've kind of been in those positions before. They've they've been around the block. So there's it's a really good blend. Um, the best part about all those guys that I mentioned is they're all older guys too. Right. They've it's all, a much more they experience. They all have really blend. good experience. I mean, it was an area last year, two years ago, that was the kind of the, the narrative was, well, these guys are young. There's going to be some mistakes, and they'll learn. And I think maybe now Maryland's at the point where, well, they're older, so we see you know, what that experience has brought them. And I think yeah. I think an interesting part of that conversation in talking about closers, well, we saw it in the World Series with the Cubs and the Indians, how Andrew Miller was coming in the seventh inning and Aroldis Chapman was coming in the eighth inning. Not necessarily the closing role, but the place with the highest leverage. So yeah. what's your philosophy there? Well, I had that same conversation with, you know, a lot of the guys and our coaches, um, it's one of those things like, like you can't do that all season long because the guys will just wear out. You know, if you couldn't bring in an Andrew Miller or Chapman in the seventh inning like, you know, three times a week. We mean, like we mean, of course, the Indians, Andrew Miller, not Maryland's yeah, Andrew yeah, Miller. The, the Indians, <laughs> Important and, distinction you know, like to you, make. You can't do that all the time, but I think like, I think there are times that that you could do that. Um, you know, I that's why I was kind of talking about like a guy pitching the eighth and the ninth. You know, or maybe a guy pitches the seventh and the eighth. You know, I just think I don't. I don't think you have to limit guys. I think if a guy is pitching well, you let him pitch. You know, it's you don't look to you don't look to 
the next day, you just kind of worry about just winning that game. And if that guy gives you the best chance, you know, if he's throwing really well, then ride him out and we'll worry about the next day, you know? Of course, you know, it certainly helps when you got guys like Bloom and Schaefer who are throwing 90-pitch complete games every other weekend. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that'll that'll take pressure off your bullpen no matter when you get it. Yeah, I think so. So, Bryant comes back down to Maryland this season at the beginning of March, and I'm sure that's a weekend that you're looking forward to, not only to kind of see all the players that you've worked with and the coaching staff you worked with over the past six years, but maybe a, a little bit of a, of a bragging rights sort of thing. So what are you most looking forward to about that? I'm, I'm not looking forward to that <laughs> weekend at all. Um, not no, even a little I, bit. No, I would like a little buffer, maybe like a year or two. Um, but, no, it'll be good to see all of them at least. Um, they're going to be good. They're, they've got uh, pretty much the whole pitching staff returned, um, except for just a couple couple guys they lost. You know, the, it's a very different team. They lost a ton of position players, so I think they're going to have like seven new guys in the lineup. Um, so it will be a really different team, which I guess is kind of the, the timing of me leaving was kind of good um, just with the amount of new guys that are there. Um, well, you'll certainly have the scouting report. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have the report on the pitchers, I guess. Um, but, no, it'll be it'll be good to see all those guys, and you know, I, I think they're going to be set up to have a really good year, and it's good that we get to play good teams too. So it's, I mean, having them come here is probably a good thing. So we've talked a lot of, of baseball-centric stuff in, in our, you know, a little bit more than brief conversation, but a big part of the chunk of this podcast and, and talking to you and all the players is, well, we kind of like to get to know the person, not necessarily the coach. So, you know, what's something that people don't know about you by, you know, reading your bio or Googling Ryan Fecto? Something they don't know. Um, <laughs> that's, I don't, I don't really know. I'm, I'm from uh, a small town in New Hampshire. Um, been pretty much a northeast guy for most of my life except for a few stops with coaching um you know i've I'm married with a with a kid and that's uh pretty much it pretty much right here left baseball is i don't know you know i'm still trying <laughs> to figure that out he's 18 months so i i think he's going to be a righty but he uh you're not going to try and make him into a southpaw nah whatever he is he's he's I'm just gonna let it play out. Oh, he's a little bit older than uh, than Rob Vaughn's son Wyatt, but I, I guess you could have a pitcher catcher duo there down the stretch. We could. That, that'd be nice. <laughs> if he if he's got his father's height, then I'm gonna have to probably drop him down or something because we're uh, we're not a family that's got a lot of height. <laughs> well, you do you do what you can. Yeah, that's true. I mean, are are you secretly? I mean, is Ryan Fecto a secret movie buff? Is he a culinary, you know, aficionado? Um, I am the cook in the family. You are um, the cook. I am. What's your uh, specialty? Uh, it's probably stuffed shells. Oh, that's that's a new one. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, usually my go-to if I need to make a decent dinner. Do you make the shells yourself, or just the stuff that goes in there? Nah, nah. I just uh, I just buy the old Barilla jumbo shells. Um, and now uh, I do like movies. Yeah, we're we're quite the movie goers. What's uh what's the mo- what's the most recent movie you've seen that you've really enjoyed? Oh, what did we just watch? We watched this actually it was uh it was like Hunt Hunt in the Wilder Hunt for the Wildermen 
or something like that. It was kind of a random movie, but it was it was really good. Yeah, not a title that I recognize, but hey, I mean, that's great. <laughs> yeah, something we found on demand. Have you been Have you been enjoying kind of the the Maryland area and and all it has to offer? Have you started yeah. learning about Old Bay and all the things of of that nature? Yeah, we tried to get around a little bit. We've been to Annapolis. Um, we went and visited the Inner Harbor up in Baltimore. Um, we did D.C. a couple times, saw some museums. Um, we're living in, we're actually, we moved to Odenton. Okay. So we're kind of near that, like, Watt Chapel area. Um, but it's been good. Um, family seems to like it, so just get get, get used to this traffic. But <laughs> yeah, the the traffic never never stops, and that's coming from someone who, quite frankly, has only been here a couple more years than you have. I'm from New York originally, so it was all it was all news to me that uh yeah. any given time I'd be sitting in twenty minutes any which way. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's been good. I'm I'm really happy with the move and my family's happy with it, so I feel uh very fortunate. Any any big plans for the holidays? We're gonna go up to New Hampshire. Um we've got both the families up there so we'll spend some time up there and see everybody. Enjoy the nice cold weather up there. Well, yeah, definitely enjoy it. And uh, the rest of the New Year as well and the break until things start back up again in January. Thanks uh, thanks so much for joining us, Ryan. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we go from the new pitching coach to one of his pitchers, Mike Racino, the big right-hander, the senior, who figures to be a big part of the back end of the bullpen this season for the Terps. Mike, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So... We, we talked on the podcast a little bit last season with you about your transition from third base to the mound, and that was a fun conversation. But now, well, you got drafted as a pitcher at the end of last season. I mean, first off, what was that moment like when you found out you were selected? Uh, it was it was honestly it was really cool. I was, uh, I was actually driving to a uh, summer ball game with my parents. They were down in town just to, just to be with me, and my mom was uh, – Actually had my phone and she was refreshing Twitter and uh, she was like, "Oh my gosh, you you just got drafted!" And then the Giants <laughs> called me like, <laughs> like thirty seconds later. It was it was really cool. Did you did you expect to be drafted? Did you see it coming? Uh yeah, I, I had I had a bunch of a uh, bunch of teams calling me like earlier early in the day asking me like what my signability was and stuff like that. But I definitely expected to to get drafted at some point. But I was a it was it was definitely a cool moment. I was very happy I was drafted. And right, it was in the, it was in the midst of kind of summer baseball. You were playing with the Baltimore Redbirds, and I mean you had a pretty good summer with them by by all accounts. I mean you were on the All Star team. You you had you know pitched in thirteen games, struck out nineteen guys. I mean it was a pretty good summer for you. Yeah, yeah, I felt I felt pretty good on the mound. Uh, the pitching coach for the Redbirds, uh, Craig Lopez, really really helped me just uh with my mechanics and stuff. So it all it all worked out for the best. Now while while you guys didn't end up winning the Ripken League championship, you kinda of fell to the big train and a couple other Terps that were on that team like Justin Morris, but you had the chance to be on the same team as Hunter Parsons and Tyler Blome. And well, Parsons was the pitcher of the year in the league and Blome by all accounts is a freshman that, you know, people expect to have an impact kind of immediately. What did you see from the two of them this summer? Yeah, I really saw. I mean, they're both they're both really good pitchers. I really saw Hunter uh, develop into. Honestly, I think he could be one of our weekend starters. He uh, he got he, he just he threw the ball really well, commanded it really well. 
kept guys off balance. He just did his job uh, for us in the summer, and I'm expecting him to do that for us uh, on the weekend this uh, this season. And what I saw from Tyler was he was he's a, he's a very uh, polished high school he's a very polished high school pitcher when I saw him throw, and he didn't throw this fall, so everyone's like just waiting to see what he's got. But uh, I'm one of the lucky guys. I seen him, I saw him throw all summer long, and I really liked uh, what I saw from him. And then, I mean, you had a couple accolades as well, the top prospect in the league, and that came after getting drafted. And, well, I saw a report that said you, you touched 97 during the All-Star game. Is that is that pretty ac- is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was told. I guess I was just uh, just one of those days just feeling really good. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I guess really is now that you've been a pitcher for a full season now, with Maryland, you know, a couple of years ago you had only a few opportunities on the mound. Last year you emerged as, you know, one of the back-end kind of go-to guys, and this year, you know, figuring the same. Now that you've got one full season under your belt, I guess what's the next step in your development this season? Uh, I think just going out there and being and being more consistent on the mound. I mean, <clears throat> like, like last year I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, wasn't as sharp always as I wanted to be, but I think uh, – Pitching more this summer really helped me just uh, get better consistent with just like uh, fastball location and like uh, my slider command, my changeup command. I think both of those have come a long way since last year. I'm hoping that uh, it shows the spring for us. And you're also dealing with a new pitching coach in Ryan Fecto. And we spoke to him earlier on the podcast about, you know, how he's kind of come in and how he came to Maryland. But what's it been like to transition from Coach Ballinger now to Coach Fecto? Oh, it's been, it's been awesome. I mean, Coach Fecto really came in and just uh, kind of kind of kicked the ball rolling. I mean, he he came in to like a pretty pretty good group of pitchers we got here this year. We should be uh probably one of the best pitching staffs in the Big Ten, I I think. And he's he's done a good job of just uh, really working with us on our mechanics and like our uh, our thought process during the game and like recognizing like sw- uh, hitter swings and stuff like that. But he's it's been it's been really good so far with him. So overall, I mean, when we kind of move past the summer, I mean, getting drafted, I want to go back to that for a second because that's something that, well, obviously not a lot of people get to experience. And it left you with the decision of do you sign with the San Francisco Giants or do you come back to Maryland? So what, what kind of went into that thought process? Um, honestly, for me, the biggest thing was just uh, just confidence. Like, like, do I think I'm good enough to – to pitch at that level just because I've only thrown like 22 innings in college for uh for Maryland and honestly I didn't really think I was ready to make that jump yet but after pitching this summer and just getting a lot more more uh, more confident on the mound I feel a lot better just about being able to make that next step next year and uh what was you know I know the fall you guys love to kind of play against each other and uh, and have a good like inter-team kind of competition with the Fall World Series and then with, with Iron Terp. Uh, you faced some of the guys over the summer in the Ripken League, but what's it like kind of facing everybody again in College Park? Uh, I mean, it's a little different. I mean, summer ball, it's more, it's more laid back. You're kind of just going out there and doing your thing here. I mean, you're always trying. You're always competing with, uh, with the guys on your team. You're trying, you're trying to win jobs, trying to keep jobs. But uh, I I really enjoy playing the fall of the series because it shows like who are the real competitive guys on the team like like who can get up to play other teammates. But it's a it's a really fun time doing that and the Iron Turf just shows who I mean who who really wants to be out there at at 5 a.m. doing that kind of stuff. But I mean 
everyone everyone did a great job this year with I was really happy with uh how how my teammates performed during it. And yeah, I mean you're you're kind of in a unique position, Mike, where you know, you're now a senior on a team that's that's been kind of well, it's been a young team over the past couple of years. So you've had the chance to kind of see, I guess, the next wave, so to speak, come into Maryland and had a chance to kind of be a veteran on the team. So, And that's going to continue this year. So when you look kind of down the line, you know, specifically the bullpen, when you look at kind of the younger guys like Zach Guth or Andrew Miller, who, you know, showed some sparks last season, or some of the other freshmen that's come in, like John Dignazio, I mean, how do you – I mean, Galligan was there last year, and he was the dad. I mean, are you the dad yeah. this spring? <laughs> uh, well, I don't even know. Well, I'm not even. I'm not even the oldest guy on our pitching staff. That's a that's a Jerry Price and Ryan Selmer. But uh, I definitely think of myself as a as one of the leaders on the pitching staff. Just uh, being through a bunch of uh, like postseason runs and stuff, so I know what that's like. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I'm kind of like the dad on our pitching staff. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess Jared Price would be the grandpa. Yeah, 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 that's true. I mean, this is what his his sixth season, I think. Fifth, fifth, fifth. Fifth season. So yeah, yeah he's 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 been around. He's been around the block a few times. Mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. And I, and, and Jared got a lot better this fall, and he's definitely going to be a big part of a uh, of what we got going on this uh, this spring in our bullpen for sure. Oh yeah, we'll definitely have to get him on the podcast at some point. He's an entertaining guy too. Yeah, he is. He's he's a funny dude. So this season coming up, one that I'm sure you're looking forward to along with everybody else. And Well, I, I took a look at some of the trips that you know I think I'm looking forward to from just like a, a fun travel standpoint. I think Clearwater will be a good time, and LSU will be something exciting. Were you there when Maryland was at LSU a few years ago? No, no. That was actually when I was in high school. That was the year before I got here. But uh, from what I heard about it, because I talked to Jared about it, and he said it was like one of the best like atmospheres he's ever played in front of. So I'm really looking forward to going down there and uh, and being up on the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a series that Maryland got swept in, uh, I guess it was 2013 or 2012. Um, yeah. Back in the day. Wow, I think that was even before I was a student maybe. Um, <laughs> which, you know, isn't really saying much. We're the same age. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, still it was a while ago. But in any case, I mean – there's there's a decent amount of time before before February and things to to get rolling. You doing anything fun uh, over break? Uh, you know, I'm just I'm just working out. Uh, just just doing our just doing our workout program, throwing program. Uh, just trying to get trying to get my body ready for this season. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun season for us this year. We're gonna make I think I think we're gonna make a deep run this year. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if we. If if we if we pitch like we're supposed to, I think our pitching staff just as good as anybody's. Just like top to bottom, just from our three starters on the weekend to our back end of our bullpen, I think I think we could be really good in our hitting, and we got a lot of good, a lot of good returning hitters this year. So I mean, we should be uh, we should be in good shape. What do you think of the uh, new gear that you've seen so far? We put something out the other day. Well, we kind of just took a bunch of the pictures that you know Terps baseball been tweeting out that you know Matt Swope's been putting out there of all the new Under Armour gear. What do you think? Yeah, I mean it looks it looks great. I can't wait to uh, I, I can't wait to get back to College Park and uh, start start uh, start trying to break it in for the season. What's your What's your favorite jersey? I know I have I have my like power rankings of the jerseys. You know, with the retro creams is number one, and then it kind of goes yeah. down the list. Where I, Where do you stand there? My favorite ones, I, I the creams are my favorite jersey. Then it's like the they're like really the fresh, right? Cream. Yeah, yeah, they're really comfy. I really I like the stirrups. Uh, 
I think well, you, a really good look. You kind of have to like the stirrups. You don't have a choice there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But then it's the uh, like the old school gray ones we got that we wear on Friday nights on road series. I think those are just like those just look awesome. <laughs> Yeah, those are those are in my uh, top five. Well, I guess there's only five jerseys, so. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the uh, and then like the old school uh, uh, reds we had, like, like not not the new ones we got last year, but uh, of like the year before that. Those are I really like those ones too. And uh, honestly, my favorite jersey that we had so far was the uh, the military jerseys. I hope I hope we get to uh, get another another jersey like that this year. That'd be uh-huh. awesome. Now, you guys had some success in those. If I remember correctly, you wore them like four games straight, and it was a little mini yeah. winning streak. Oh, yeah, we had to because, I mean, we, we weren't playing that well last year, and then we put those on, and we wore, and then we won five in a row or, or, or four in a row, and we were like, oh, we got to keep wearing them. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the Ohio State series with two walk-offs to boot. Yeah, 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 you got to keep wearing them. <laughs> any, uh, any insight as to, you know, a new jersey we might see? Uh, I, have, I actually haven't heard – heard anything about uh the new jersey uh the new jerseys i heard they were trying to get like an all all red jersey or something but uh i heard just like it, it, it like didn't happen but uh that would have been that would have been something kind of like the the maryland football like red ops jerseys that they uh that they yeah, yeah. this season yeah that'd be cool yeah that yeah yeah, yeah that would have been something what are your thoughts on like an all gold jersey maybe not all gold but like gold tops i know they had them maybe like four or five years ago uh i from how they looked and like from what I've been told about them, I heard they were. Uh, I heard everyone liked them. So if it, if we want to bring them back, I'm I'm all for it. But I guess consensus, you guys should wear the retro creams more often, not just the home midweeks. Yeah, yeah, I would love to wear those on uh on the weekends, maybe for home for home series. I think they're really they just like a really good looking jersey. Oh yeah, I agree. I think they're. I mean, as I said, they're my favorite personally. They're pretty fresh. Yeah, for sure. All right, Mike. Well, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast this time around. Always good to talk to you and hear your thoughts on everything Terps baseball, and we'll be sure to catch up with you you know, during the season. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. Enjoy the holidays, man. All right. You too. That'll wrap things up for this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Terps pitching coach Ryan Fecto and right-hander Mike Racino for joining us. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at MDBaseballNet and check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. Stay tuned to our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, for more of those recruiting profiles we mentioned, as well as a bunch of other stories as we begin to preview the upcoming 2017 season. So, for Dylan Sin and Max Marcilla, I'm Jake Eisenberg, signing off on this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Happy holidays, everyone.